Susie O'Neill was everything we wanted in an Australian champion. Gracious, humble, and absolutely ruthless in the pool. But masked by that ruthlessness was someone crippled by anxiety and panic attacks. Yet despite this, she pit herself against the best in the world, winning countless medals and becoming unbeatable in her pet event, the 200 metre butterfly. Until, that is, it came time for her curtain call at the Sydney Olympics. How did this shy Queenslander become one of the dominant swimmers of her generation? And how much of an impact did that Sydney result have on her life? Susie, good to see you. Bruce, how are you going? Good. Welcome. Good to see you again. Welcome. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Looking great. Thank you. Welcome to Off the Record. Thanks, Bruce. Um, where do we start? You're an introvert. Yes. Um, probably don't like attention, and yet you're a world champion swimmer. How did that sort of clash over the years? How did mm. you handle that? I was pretty difficult in the beginning. Um, yeah, I always wonder about my personality. Now I'm looking into it a bit more. I, like, I didn't like attention, but I did like attention. I think for me, probably the easiest way for me to get attention when I was younger, because I wasn't like loud and and boisterous, boisterous was probably with athletic pursuits. So it always was kind of a weird um, clash of what people perceived I was like, and then I probably did though actually like attention as well. What about nerves? Do they go with being an introvert? Oh, Were you nervous? Were you I, nervous? I, was a, I was an extremely nervous performer. Yeah, crazy. Like early on in my career, I didn't actually finish any of my freestyle events or any event that I had to put my face in the water because I'd basically have a panic attack. <clears throat> so at the beginning I was a backstroker because my, my face could be out of the water and I could, I could breathe. So, so why swimming? Uh, that's a good question, I think, because I was good at it. Um, I grew up in Brisbane. We always went to uh, Noosa on the Easter holidays and, and Greenman on our Christmas holidays, um, always in the pool and swimming, and I always seemed to do pretty well without any training. So Mum took me to the local pool, which was Hibiscus Gardens, three kilometres away, and that's where Mr Wakefield was. So I started when I was nine. Um, at the same time, I was still playing a lot of tennis. Because you were a good athlete, weren't you? Well, <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> you said that you had anxiety attacks when you were swimming and backstroke. So butterfly, which is, mm. oh, God, it's the toughest of the lot, isn't it? Why butterfly? <sighs> well, I wouldn't choose it. You know, everyone always says, how do you choose your event? It's just what you end up being good at. Um, but I was good at hunter fly. And then leading into the 1992 Olympics, um, Mr Wakefield said to me, I was 18 at the time, he said, I think there's a really good opportunity in the 200 metres butterfly, not only to make the Australian team, but also to win a medal. But I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I fought him, you know, like, I don't want to do the 200 butterfly. Because it's so physically hard? Um, and the training for it more so. The training for it's quite difficult. Because Bernie, Mr Wakefield, am I right in saying that he had kept your training? You were quality more than quantity. You did yeah. less... Kays and most. He really adapted to you a bit, didn't he? Yeah, I think he was a really good coach looking back. Um, I wish I had kept a logbook actually and knew what sort of training he gave us. It's always at race pace, not too much slow swimming. And with Mr Wakefield, it was always about that. We did about 30 to 35 kilometres a week, um, which is not a very, not a lot in swimming terminology. Well, obviously worked very well. He must have been a big influence. Yeah, it was a massive influence. Um, I stayed with him till I was 21. He saw your potential early though, didn't he? I, he said something that mm. gave you a bit of a... Yeah, when I was about 10, I remember him saying to me, one day people will know you, your name like Shane Gould. 
who was this, at 15, went and, you know, yeah. in Munich and was the big Australian star at the Olympics, wasn't she? Yeah, and then... How did that, how did that, how did you respond to that? Yeah, I didn't say anything, but it certainly put a, a, a thought in my head or started something. Yeah, I don't know, I think just, I don't know, I felt like, looking back now, it's, <clears throat> I achieved everything, but I felt like I always knew I was going to do, I always expected that's what was going to happen. I don't know, I felt like I was always going to get there eventually. What about your parents? I mean, were they... Did they drive you? I mean, were they were they keen for you to do well? Um, I can't remember them being pushy at all. Um, I remember them facilitating anything that we wanted to do, but we had to do it properly. Like, if we signed up for a sport, we had to do it for the whole length of the season. We didn't, didn't see a lot of them when you were swimming in the stands. And then, I mean, they weren't high-profile parents, were they? No, definitely not. No, they had... Even when I was just inducted in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame as, as a legend, which um, I thought was a pretty big deal. And um, I rang them up and I said, oh, do you want to come down to this? And they said, no, that's fine, we don't. <laughs> come down, so I think they... Did that disappoint you? A little bit, but I think I can understand now as my, as my kids get older, I think that I, they saw a lot of parents, I suppose, write off their children's sporting um, success. They never really wanted to be those types of parents. They never wanted to put extra pressure on me. You didn't celebrate too often, did you? No. Well, I always thought that was being, um, yeah, being a bit up yourself, isn't it? Don't you think? If you celebrate, that's in... I suppose that was how I was brought up and I suppose that's how I, what I say to my kids now, which is weird because everyone sees uh, athletes, elite athletes celebrating on TV so much. Young kids do that from such a young age and um, that really irks me. I think my son did it once at swimming club, threw his hands in the air and oh, I was like... Don't do that. That looks really embarrassing. Bernie, Mr Wakefield has said that you um, you had that killer instinct, that you know, merciless, that, you know, almost ruthless. Um, <laughs> do you agree with him and have you? Oh, I do agree and I think it surprises people because outside the pool generally I don't act like that. Um, but, yeah, I've probably got white line fever. I'm extremely competitive. So, yeah, I loved beating people. It was my favourite thing. <laughs> and Sanders is staking her claim. Can O'Neill win from here? She's right in this. Susie O'Neill, head down, working hard. She may be in front now. Here comes Sanders. Sanders in lane five is looming as the danger. Susie in front. Sanders may have got by her. Wang is kicking again. Sanders may win this. Sanders in first. Susie may get the bronze. She does. Third and bronze medalist representing Australia. Susan O'Neill. Barcelona. It was a great swim. You know, For three laps. <laughs> <laughs> bronze medal. Um, yeah. Were you happy? Yeah, I was happy looking back. I thought, um, leading in, I probably thought I was going to win. With one lap to go, I, just, I remember turning and thinking, I'm going to win. I'm going to win the Olympic Games. And at that time, I sort of, I probably went out too fast, to be perfectly honest, with adrenaline and the fact that I get so nervous, I really have to feel like I'm not trying at all. I started to tighten up when I was leading and Summer Sanders, the American girl, went past me and another Chinese girl went past me. But, I mean, at that stage of my career, I was, I was wrapped with a, with a bronze. I think Kieran was the only individual gold medalist at that Olympics. So that's 92. 1993, a big thing happens. We know that Sydney mm. is going to be the Olympic city. So did, did that help you focus for the, the, the years ahead? Oh, definitely, yeah. I was, remember I was in Canberra at the time on a swimming trip when we won the Sydney Olympics and I'd finished school in 1990, um, got a good result. I always thought that swimming would be like a hobby and then I'd eventually go to uni and, and get a proper job. 
So when Sydney got the Olympics, it made me really, you know, gave you a reason to hang on to the, to the age of 27, which back then was kind of old for a swimmer. I never thought I'd swim till that age, but yeah, it was like the carrot that you needed. It was an exciting time to be a swimmer. So Sydney was, came at a perfect time for my career. And, and it's interesting because in 94 also, whilst it was exciting, you had, I, I got the feeling, and tell me if I'm wrong, Susie, that you got a little bit disillusioned at the World Championships. The Chinese were dominating in Rome. The Chinese seemed to win everything. And um, I was dis disillusioned, to be perfectly honest. We weren't allowed, I remember we weren't allowed to say we think they're on drugs, but it was obvious that they were, to me, they were on drugs. I mean, they had really deep voices and they looked like men. So, yeah, and things with Mr Wafer were starting to get a little bit strained. I was 21 at that age and I'm pretty much his only swimmer. Um, it was difficult to train by myself and I didn't think he was quite as energetic as he used to be. So I decided that I was going to change coaches after the World Championships and I um, sat down with Don Talbot actually and he thought I should change coaches as well and he suggested I either go to Scott Volkers or to Laurie Lawrence. Um, Scott was um, training Sam Riley at the time, who was a friend of mine, so I decided to go to him and yeah, never really looked back actually, my career really improved. So was that your, the end of your relationship with Mr Wakefield? I mean... Virtually, yeah, you, it didn't end that well. We, yeah, Mum and I went and spoke to him and he pretty much said no one's ever improved when they, when they leave him. Um, and, but I had the time and how old was I, 21? I was at a very so selfish point in my life. I remember being pretty focused and not really caring about anyone. I mean, looking back now, I'm probably more empathetic of his feelings, but at the time, I probably didn't really care, to be perfectly honest. It's worked out very well. I it mean, did, yeah. And fine. Scott re-energised you and, and you had a very, very successful period under him. Yeah, he was an amazing coach, actually. He was, Why? Um, because, again, he made it fun. I mean, swimming can be a very tedious and boring sport, and probably like most sports, but um, sometimes more so, I think, than some other sports because you can't, your head's in water the whole time. But on pool deck, he was always so energetic and and fun, but really pushed us at the right times. And, and you went through a, almost an unbeatable period in the, in the 200 fly mm -hmm. under him, didn't you, for a fairly long stretch of time? Yeah, six years, <laughs> up until the last race, as you know. But <laughs> yeah, we really improved and I was, was re-energised as well. As well as his new training program, I was a lot more excited about it as well. And it was a, yeah, a really enjoyable golden period. And one in Atlanta, right? Eh? I mean, it's enormous to be an Olympic individual champion, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of the main aim you want growing up, individual gold medalist. It's diff it is different from a relay gold medalist, to be perfectly honest, in swimming. Is it true that Scott said, now, if you do win, give us, <laughs> give us a bit, Susie, afterwards, give us a celebration? Yeah, so uh, he, he would never say too much before the race because you, you trained and practised for it. and. And as I said before, I was a very nervous competitor, so I used to try and keep it pretty light-hearted. But um, he said, good luck. And as I was walking away from my race, he called out my name and I turned around and he said, oh, if you win, can you try and look a bit excited? <laughs> so I, I did. I tried to look a bit excited. <laughs> so was that a bit put on? It probably was. To be honest, the last couple of years was probably a bit of acting. Am I allowed to say that now that it's over? <laughs> so there's a bit of an actress in you, Susie? Well... I don't know. I had to play the game, didn't I? <laughs> Why not? You had to look like it meant something, even yeah. though it did inside. A couple of big things coming up. One, the Sydney Olympics you've already talked about, how important they were, but 
There's the holy grail a bit too with Mary T. Maher's long-standing 200-metre butterfly world record and you, you were chasing it, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I really, really wanted to get that before I finished swimming. Um, I always thought it was an unbeatable record. It was one yeah. that, you know, we, all swimmers we looked at and said, oh, there's no way we'll ever get that. She was a freak. But I ended up meeting her at some stage in that period where I was with Scott and um, she was just normal. I think, you know, she was pretty quiet and, just, and it really struck me that she's not a freak, she's just a normal person and... I felt like then I could really get it and... So at the Olympic trials, it, it happens. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you reach the summit in some ways, don't oh. you? Real emotion that night. Yeah, that wasn't fake actually that night. Yeah, I remember finally getting it. I, I knew I think I wouldn't get it at the Olympics because, you know, quite often people don't swim their best times at the Olympics. So it was kind of my last chance. But yeah, everything was going well in training and finally got it. So I knew I'd got it when I touched the wall and heard the crowd. It was amazing. And to do it in Australia was, you know, it's probably almost my favourite moment in swimming. Probably that. and and winning my first gold medal in Atlanta. Misty Hyman suddenly has slipped away. O'Neill trying valiantly. Hyman's in front by about a body length. Susie's got a big job on her hands. Thomas is back third. The Australians looking at silver and bronze. Well, can O'Neill find something? This has been a great swim by the American. Hyman is still in front. O'Neill is second. Thomas is third. Misty Hyman is going to win gold for the Americans. Misty Hyman comes in first. O'Neill gets second. Thomas is third. It's the Olympics in Sydney. Have you ever watched that 200 fly final back? Um, I've never watched it. I'm not sure um, exactly what happened. Do you, do you want to have a look at it? Oh, not really, no. Have you got it here? <laughs> I think I remember with that last 50, I remember hearing this really loud um, scream and I thought, what's everyone screaming at? And I looked up and I saw Misty Hyman just in front of me. And I'm thinking, speed up, speed up. And I don't think you, you're not meant to do that And at the end of a 200 fly. You meant to just try and not speed up, just not slow down type thing, but... Mm. Did you realise in that last 50 you weren't going to win? Oh, I think in the last, probably the last 10 metres, yeah. Did it already, was it hitting home then or not? I don't think so. I think when I touched the wall, I remember everyone cheering and I'd, I'd lost and I thought, why is everyone cheering? Why, for an American? We were a good crowd, weren't we? We were. The Sydney audience. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> Incredible. And then I remember thinking, I acted then, I remember thinking, oh, geez, be a good sport. Because you do go across to her. Do I you... go across? I remember. Yeah, Did yeah, I? Yeah. Oh, God. And you said something in her ear, I think. I think I said, well done. I'm not a psychologist, Susie, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's interesting that after all, you still don't want to have a little look. No. Would you look at I'd something... i probably start crying, to be honest. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's still, mm. it's still pretty raw. But you've sort of forgotten what you did achieve. You know, a gold medal in the 200 freestyle. O'Neill has kicked clear. She's out by a couple of strokes now. Susie O'Neill from Paul. Morikova dying. Coming through in lane six. There is Timosova. O'Neill's in front. She's filling the pinch a little bit. Paul is drawing closer. About 20 metres to swim. O'Neill still in front. Susie O'Neill. I doubt they'll catch her. Morikova coming again. O'Neill's in front. On top, down under. Susie O'Neill goes into touch first. O'Neill wins a gold medal for Australia. Aussie gold, Aussie glory to Susie O'Neill. 
a sensational effort. I tell you what, I have goosebumps. You've won one of the greatest yeah. medals in sport. Yeah. You know, 200 freestyle at the Olympics. It's probably better than 200 fly, isn't it? I should tell myself that. Do you get a kick out of it? <sighs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think I try and divorce myself from those feelings a bit now. To be honest, otherwise you're always chasing those feelings. Your husband? Yeah, Cliff. The good doctor. <laughs> did you ring him that day of the 200 freestyle? Yes, I did, yeah. I was really nervous and um, I'd qualified fastest and no one was looking that great. So I, knew, I think I thought I should win this. So uh, I, got, I rang up Cliff and I was crying and said, I'm not going out to the pool tonight. I'm over it. And he just said, you know, get over yourself. It's a swimming race. Go to the pool, put on your togs and, and just do it. So I think, it, yeah, it was good to put it into perspective, which is hard to do at an Olympics, at a home Olympics. You feel like it's the end of the world if it doesn't happen. Where do you keep your Olympic medals? My underwear drawer. <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of medals. I've got, I threw most of them out. You know that, don't you? Tell me that. I had a cleanse. Oh, I had a cleansing thing that I was going to move forward. So I threw almost most of my stuff out. I tore up all my Commonwealth Games records. I, I was crazy. I don't know why. I thought. Tell me about that. Come on. Oh, just because you know you think you're going to finish end of swimming, okay, next new life. But I think I finally accepted that my life's always coming back. It always comes back to swimming. I remember being in the bin, tearing up my Commonwealth Games records, that's all I remember. And Mum took my old trophies back to my primary school so I could reuse them. Did it make you feel better doing that? No. I still miss swimming. <laughs> now, I have the honour to introduce to you the eight athletes who have just been elected as members of the International Olympic Committee by the athletes participating in these games. Susie O'Neill, Natation, Australia. Susie O'Neill, Swift, Australia. Just to close off Sydney, mm -hmm. you just weren't mm -hmm. sleeping during the Olympics. I mean, did you talk to many people about that? Yeah, no, I didn't tell anyone because I thought it would become worse if I spoke about it. Old school psychology, I think. During warm-ups as well, I was starting to get that uh, panic attack feeling that I got early on in my career. I think I had a sleeping tablet actually that night of the, after the tournament free, because I had the tournament fly the next day. And I felt great the next day, actually. I felt really good. It's the best sleep I'd had all week, and um, I felt really rested. But I think I'd, I'd probably just been too run down from the, the week leading into it. Sleeping tablets and swimming, eh? Well, I think, well, I don't want to say I'm the cause, but I think I did start that culture of, of sleeping tablets, because I know they took it a lot more seriously then. Before then, I'd never heard of anyone taking a sleeping tablet in the team. But I know after that, Scott was like, oh, we really need to address this. We need to make, make sure we can get sleep, um, you know, for our races. So I think they started using sleeping tablets a little bit after that. So when you retire at 27 and you become a mum? Yeah. Is that easy? Um, no, that was kind of, yeah, that was a really difficult period. Um, and probably looking back, because I am so hard on myself, I, I expected to be a perfect mother. I expected my daughter would be absolutely perfect. Um, but you know what babies are like, or I know more now. <laughs> they're their own people, they're their own personalities, and they can't. I was used to being in control and running everything like clockwork, pretty much from nine. You know, every minute of the day was was scheduled, and I was always on time and <clears throat> knew what I was doing. So when I had a baby, life was kind of different. It was kind of a difficult period, probably my hardest period of my life. And it's weird because 
around that time as well, people were still asking me to come and give motivational talks about swimming. And I was thinking, oh, what's so hard about swimming? Generally, if you've got some talent, you get the results. So um, with, yeah, with babies, it didn't, that didn't happen. A lot of women have postnatal depression and yeah. things. I mean, do you feel like that you got close to that? Um, oh, definitely, yeah. I, um, the first doctor that told me I had it, I left and changed doctors. <laughs> um, and did a few different things. It probably wasn't until after my second um, baby that I really addressed the, the problems and, and started looking after myself a lot better. Sport's so easy, I think. It's real life, it's difficult. <laughs> I didn't realise there'd be any problem retiring for me because I retired when I wanted to. I retired at the top. I'd done every single thing that I wanted to do in the sport. Um, I'd done well out of it. I was still making a lot of money out of it. I had a good family, a good marriage, good parents, but it was still kind of difficult. Like I said, I try to divorce myself of those <clears throat> really high feelings because, as I said, otherwise I'm just chasing them for the rest of my life and, I don't know, nothing really does compare to, you know, nothing's ever going to compare to me touching the wall of my home Olympics with 10,000 people sc screaming, is it? I guess you understand why people have comebacks. Oh, definitely. I have to do regular exercise, I know that, looking after myself. And I think any elite athlete, you know, from nine, you're... You're used to those endorphins. I think if you stop cold turkey, I think that's when a lot of problems happen. Swimming seemingly is on an upward curve again. Is that the way you see it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it seems like it's really firing, doesn't it? And some great people in it. I think the Campbell sisters, especially Kate Campbell, have played a big part. The team is really grounded, I think, and they've got it all into perspective and, and they're on a really good path. Susie, thank you very much. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed the chat. I've learned a lot about you. Actually. Yeah, I don't know if I have to go to therapy this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've done a good job. Yeah. <laughs>